What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped into my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming related decree. This week, it's all about controllers, fins, and DLC. So let's talk about it and dive right into the episode with my news catch of the week. Gamers, I am a self-professed controller freak. So anytime Microsoft or Sony decides that they want to announce and reveal a brand new color or design or theme to their controllers, I go kind of nuts. And this past week, Sony decided to just about kill me with announcing not one, not two, but three brand new colors for the best controller in gaming, in my opinion, the Dual Sense for the PS5. Now, these three colors were very surprising to me, to be honest with you, and, and pretty striking. First up, we have Starlight Blue, kind of almost a, a baby blue in a sense, but very sci-fi with a kind of a gloss and, and really a beautiful look to it, for real. Then we had Nova Pink, which was, a again, a very nice shade of pink. But guys, it was that third color that just gripped me. And I said, I have got to get me one of these in my best Will Smith from Independence Day impersonation. So that color was, in fact, galactic purple. Now, typically purple is my wife's favorite color. Green is my favorite color. But I got to tell you, I don't know whether it's living with her for all these years or you know, the Hulk, his purple pants with his green, I, I don't know, guys. But purple has grown on me over the years. And, you know, there was a post on social media a few months ago, and there's always people creating their own designs and colors for controllers, PlayStation, Xbox, whatever. Well, there was this one post a few months ago, and this person had done two different controller colors for the DualSense, and they paired them with two respective games. And the one was a hunter green, beautiful looking controller paired with Returnal. And it looked perfect, perfectly matched. The next color was a purple controller paired with an image from Ratchet and Clank. And again, it looked perfect. I said, man, I, I like that green, but that purple, that actually looks really nice, man. Well, little did I know that months later, they would actually be Sony releasing a galactic purple controller. And what I love about this is Sony has coined this collection, the Galaxy Collection. And if you haven't noticed, I'm a little bit of a glutton for theming. So to have it coined as the Galaxy Collection, I love that. And the galactic purple is just absolutely calling my name. So I could not wait to pre-order this galactic purple DualSense controller. And I was very successful in doing so on PlayStation.com. They've done me very well. Earlier in the year when I got the Cosmic Red controller and Midnight Black controllers, they're awesome. PS Plus members get free delivery. You also, it seems, it would seem in this scenario that I may actually get 
a little bit of a quote-unquote early access. And you may too, if you're a PS Plus member, if you're able to get on there and pre-order these uh, controllers. Because the reason why is eventually Amazon started being able to pre-order these colors. And the release date that Amazon has listed is January 28th. The official announcement from Sony said January of 2022, but my shipping date shows that I am supposed to receive my Galactic Purple controller on January 14th. So we'll see what happens. 14th, 28th, some point in that 31 days of January, hopefully I will be unboxing my Galactic Purple DualSense. I just love that both Sony and Microsoft are really driving the variety and the options and choice in controllers this generation, more so than any other, I feel like. Now, don't get me wrong. I know we've had plenty of options over the years on most console generations, but man, right out the gate, I feel like we're getting those options, and I think that's awesome. Now, the reason why I felt like Sony was trying to kill me this past week was not just for these DualSense controllers. That was bad enough, but man, not only did they release and reveal these images and information about the controllers guys they had to take it one step further and officially confirm the playstation 5 console customized fins and or covers however you want to term it i personally refer to them as fins so these fins we've known for pretty much since before the ps5 launched last year that the fins were going to be detachable from the PS5 console. We then obviously have seen recently where with you, if you want to add the expandable memory internally, you have to pop the fin off and go through all that rigmarole to get it installed, right? Well, you know, there was even a third-party company months ago that was starting to sell pre-orders for their own versions of fins that you could interchange on the PS5 before Sony threatened them with a lawsuit and they backed off. Now we see why. Speculation was always there. It is confirmed there are official colored Sony fins coming in 2022. Now, the specifics here, only the black and cosmic red colors will be available in January. The other colors, which, guess what? You got it. All these brand new dual sense colors, they also are getting a matching fin to go with your controller. So Starlight Blue, Galactic Purple, and Nova Pink, all are color options that will be available, according to Sony, at some point in the first half of 2022. So we'll see what happens with those release dates. Guys, I couldn't resist. I wanted to be very much involved with switching out these fin colors as soon as I could. And I do have a midnight black and a cosmic red dual sense. So I was like, you know what? I've had a black PS or PlayStation controller many times in the past. I'm going to go with the crimson cosmic red console fin. And I'm going to try that out come January 21st, according to, again, the shipping information that I was given upon my pre-order. So I can't wait to share with you guys what I think of these fins, what I actually think of the Galactic Purple Dual Sense once I get it in my hands and see it in person. And I will definitely be doing accessory reviews on Captain's Quarters for you guys to let you know how I really feel. 
So absolutely amazing stuff for me. I love this kind of stuff coming out of Sony last week. Now, on the game front, we have a lot of information in the Assassin's Creed franchise that I wanted to touch on here. A lot of really cool, fun stuff. You know, man, I gotta, I have to start. I have to start with Assassin's Creed crossover stories. Now, this was first announced last week, officially. Before that, as we all know, leaks happen all the time, and just about everything anymore gets leaked. So, of course, we had already seen images and had speculation and rumors of what was going to happen with Cassandra seemingly returning to Valhalla, and somehow, how is she going to meet up with Eivor? What is Ubisoft up to? Well, we found out this past week that it was Assassin's Creed crossover stories, and the first of what will hopefully be many in the future. These stories are free. At least this first one was free. It was available at the time of announcement, which is insane. I love it when companies do that. Uh, It's so awesome. And this is going to actually see Cassandra from Assassin's Creed Odyssey meet up with Eivor from Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Now, it was very interesting to me and friend of the show, Graveyard Gamer, got a podcast right here on Anchor and many other platforms. Check him out. Great show. Definitely, I promise you will like if you listen. But me and him, we were talking about this and we're like, well, we both played as Alexios in Odyssey. So what does that mean for us? Does that mean that we'll meet Alexios instead of Cassandra? And I don't want to say too much if you haven't played Odyssey, but let's just say there's a big difference there between the two characters, depending on who you choose to play as when you play through the story of Odyssey. So I can tell you that ultimately I have started the Valhalla chapter of this crossover story. And to clarify and to fill you in on all the details, when I say chapter, what I mean is Valhalla has a new chapter, a new piece of content to explore and to experience, as well as Odyssey. And they are each unique unto themselves. So you have to obviously own both games to be able to play both chapters, get the full story of what's going on here between Cassandra and Eivor. But I chose, since I was, as you listeners of the show should know, uh, I've been playing through Assassin's Creed Valhalla, so I'm already in that world I figured, you know what, I'm going to start out and play the Valhalla chapter first. Since I'm already there, I know chronologically Cassandra's chapter probably should be played first, but I didn't really see anything that told me that I had to play that chapter first. So let me just say that all in all, you know, so far, I've thoroughly enjoyed what I've played. It's been very brief, but what I have played, I've been very impressed with. And from what I've seen online, as far as the time and length of this content between the two chapters, you're probably looking to spend somewhere between eight and 10 hours, depending on how much you explore and how much you really get involved with all the objects and the new areas that you can explore. So ultimately, my thoughts on this, I love the idea. The crossover idea is great. It's something that's been used in comics for years movies as well as TV shows like crossover events are always and have always been a big thing in really any medium. So to see it happening in Assassin's Creed specifically has me very, very excited. And, you know, it got me thinking, I really have a couple of ideas 
of what some awesome crossover stories could be in the future. Now, I will tell you the one idea that I have that I think will be the best of the many that I, I started brainstorming. Let me just say, if you have completed Odyssey, again, you'll know why it would make sense that Cassandra would be the continuing connecting thread in a crossover event in any story. I'm not going to spoil that for you, but let's just say if you've beaten the game, you know what I'm talking about. So with that being the case and the opportunity there and in canon for Cassandra to be able to realistically in the game, in the setting of the game world to show up at pretty much any Assassin's Creed timeline. I would love to see a crossover event with Aya as the protagonist and Aya, if you are unaware, she is from Assassin's Creed origins. Her and Bayek had an amazing story in origins but I also, I just, you know, there's a few reasons I would love to see her as the protagonist in the next crossover event or a crossover event at some point. One, I loved her character. She was just an excellent character. I loved what she was doing in the background of Origins. And even the few missions that you did play as her, man, I thoroughly, I just, it left me wanting more. I've always wanted more of that character. So when you think about that for me, and then two, if you've played the Legacy of the First Blade DLC from Odyssey to completion, you guys, again, you're going to know how that ends and why Aya would be an amazing choice for Cassandra to visit next in a crossover story. So, all in all, if Ubisoft decides to release multiple crossover stories in a given year, say once a quarter, like they do with the festivals at this point in Valhalla, I think that'd be a great idea. I think it would be something to look forward to. You know, the festivals, they, they are what they are. But if it was something like a crossover event or a crossover story once every four months, I think that would be awesome. And the thing is, though, they would have to maintain the quality or at least what appears to be some pretty good quality of what I've experienced so far of this first crossover chapter or story in order for it to work and to be something that, you know, players, fans want to come back to four times a year. So very cool concept and idea, Ubisoft. Definitely give you props on that. But that wasn't the only piece of Assassin's Creed news that was confirmed this past week that also was leaked. We also got confirmation and a new cinematic trailer and all kinds of details on Dawn of Ragnarok, the long-rumored massive expansion to Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Now, gamers, Ubisoft flat out came out and said this is a full-blown 40-plus hour expansion. It's releasing in March the 10th of that month in 2022. So we are less than three months away from yet another 40-plus hours of content for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So the whole storyline of this expansion and the purpose of what you're doing here, we gamers are going to play as Odin, or as he's better known in the game world of Valhalla, as Javi. And I'm going to just read this quote from what Ubisoft released. Faced with visions of a new threat, Eivor must embrace their destiny as Odin and enter the mythical dwarven realm of Svartalheim, a beautiful but hostile world under invasion. From underground forges to soaring golden peaks, immerse yourself in a vast, perilous new world of Norse mythology as you embrace your fate as a Norse god. End quote. 
So definitely sounds pretty epic. And I got to tell you, even though it was a cinematic trailer, which I know typically we gamers cringe at the word cinematic trailer or the phrase cinematic trailer, I got to tell you, it was okay for me for what this was and for this announcement. And the trailer itself was just pretty awesome. It did a great job, in my opinion, in explaining what you can kind of expect, as well as putting some mysteries out there too. And as I delve deeper into the details of what this expansion was going to be, and the fact that it goes deep into this quest to rescue Odin's son, Balder, from imprisonment, and man, there's just a lot of amazing looking stuff that goes on here. There's lots of different enemy types. You get to face off against the Jotnars, which are foes of ice from Jotunheim and Moosebulls, the newest enemy type that obviously come from Muspelheim. And there's going to be all kinds of different enemy archetypes, and you can infiltrate their strongholds. And the coolest thing of the whole expansion so far for me, though, is the new abilities or ability that Eivor is going to have. And that is going to be the ability to absorb the powers of Eivor's enemies. So say if they are moose bulls and you're sitting there and they have some kind of fire attack you grab onto them avor absorbs that fire attack and then can use that his or herself same with the jotuns from jotunheim as far as ice attacks and whatever the enemy type that you're facing they have specific moves or powers that they use you'll be able to absorb those powers and use them back on them yourself and it just looked really cool uh, throughout the course of that cinematic trailer so I think this sounds pretty epic and pretty amazing, especially if you're really in the Norse mythology. I think you're really going to dig this. I will say that the world that we're going to be exploring, like the dwarven mines and the underground, the beautiful exterior environments that it looks like we're going to be having an option to lose ourselves in, it just, honestly, it just sounds like a lot of screenshots to me, meaning I'm going to be spending a lot of time framing up some screenshots in this expansion. Now, I am very curious about the involvements of the character of Eivor, though. And what I mean is, I mentioned that there's little mysteries that Ubisoft kind of dropped in here. In the trailer, there's moments where it looks like Javi is kind of glitching out, if you will. And during these glitches, it's like Javi glitches back and forth between themself and Eivor. So it's very interesting to me, what does that mean? I'm sure there's got to be some kind of meaning there because Ubisoft, I don't feel like, would deliberately put focus on something like that, albeit how briefly it was, if it didn't mean something. So I'm just very curious to see what that's all about. Either way, we don't really have too much long now to wait to find out what it all means. As again, March 10th is less than three months away. So that was my catch of the week. Now, let's go check out what games I've been playing in my captain's log. Gamers, we've just discussed the future of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Now let's kind of go back and talk about my presence with the game. And if you've been listening to my show, you'll know that I've been trying very hard to finally complete the base game of Valhalla after picking away at it for over a year now. Gamers, I am beyond excited to finally share with you that I have completed the base game of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. 
man, it was a good feeling to say that. I got to tell you, whew, after over 250 hours I have put into this game, by the time those credits rolled, it feels absolutely amazing to say that. Now, I will say this past week, I dropped about eight hours into the game since I last talked to you guys. And what did I think of the way it ended? Well, to be honest with you, the final quest, at the time of that quest and completing it and realizing that that was pretty much it as far as like a, a quest in the normal sense of the, of the word and the rest of the game would mean. I felt it was very anticlimactic. I just, I was expecting more. I was like, oh, wow, that, that's it. Uh, okay. And sure, there was a few other things that I had to do that popped up that were options for me to do. But man, in that final battle, it just wasn't exactly what I had expected going into it. But let me just say that after talking it out with my wife, who also had previously beaten the game maybe six months ago or so, I started to sit back and realize, man, that actually, the way they ended that game was excellent. It wasn't just this massive epic finale and then boom, credits. To be honest with you gamers out there, there were no credits. <laughs> I kept talking about all these weeks about, man, when the credits roll, can't wait to see the credits roll. There were no credits. So that is ironic in and of itself. But the way that Ubisoft and the storytelling in this game specifically was broken down there were multiple endings. And I don't mean multiple endings in the sense that, hey, if you do this or that, you get ending A, or if you do X, Y, Z, you get ending B. That's not what I mean. What I mean is there are multiple storylines that are interwoven throughout the entirety of this massive epic. And there were multiple endings. Each one of those storylines had its own kind of respective ending. And I love that because it gave closure to pretty much every open story arc that may have been an ongoing story arc throughout the whole course of the game. And that was great because that doesn't always happen. Or you have just one linear story that gets that one finite ending. So I loved what Ubisoft did with the ending in this game here. Ah, man, it was just a lot of really cool stuff that you could also do after that final quest. So just FYI, a little buried treasure gaming tip here. Make sure to always go back to Ravensthorpe because there may be a couple things that pop up, even on multiple visits, that you don't want to miss out on. And all I can tell you is absolutely make sure to take out all the Order of the Ancients and get that final quest from Hytham at Ravensthorpe. Because, man, if you are a fan of the series, you do not want to miss the closure to that storyline and ultimately a specific character, as well as opening up a whole can of worms. <laughs> Just trust me when I say this, it's a whole can of worms when you see the completion of that storyline. Definitely not something to be missed. So after I finished up everything story-related in the game... I felt kind of lost. I'm like, man, there's really nothing left to do. Wow, I'm, I'm just, I'm not used to being in this position in this game. But there were still things left for me to do. I wanted to mop up the rest of the achievements and get all thousand gamer score out of the base game. For me, initially, you can ask Graveyard Gamer, I wasn't going to go for all thousand. There was a few achievements that I felt were kind of like, oh, come on. One of which was Overdesigned 2 was the name of the achievement, where you have to kill three hard enemies while on fire without breaking their shields. Now, when you read that or see that, you're like, what? 
Let me just say it's not as difficult as the description would make you think. Or catch every type of fish in the game. I don't know if you gamers know or not, there's 19 types of fish. I was terrified that I was going to have to go after like 12 types of fish and spend forever searching for these things. I needed six and it took me maybe an hour and I was done. So all in all, long story short, I got all thousand gamer score, loved it. It's a continuing tradition now that I've had with Assassin's Creed. I wish I could say since the first one, because I did miss one achievement for missing a conversation with a character in the game. But other than that, I've always tried to maintain all thousand gamer score in every Assassin's Creed game, or when they added multiplayer achievements, all single player achievements in an Assassin's Creed game. So I have continued that tradition, and I'm very proud to say that. And I just, man, loved, loved, loved Valhalla. I'll be honest, it'll probably be a little bit before I get that review finalized and out there to you guys, but I am hoping to get it out there at some point in January and look forward to your response on that. Now, Assassin's Creed was not the only game I played this past week. I have also been absolutely loving my side quest game, which is The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD. Gamers, where last I left you, I had just gotten to the Lanairu Mine. And I finally have gotten the chance now to start exploring this new overworld. Now, the overworlds are, are usually pretty sizable in these games. And it's no different here for the Lanairu Mine. One of the coolest, most mysterious things that I encountered when I first drifted down from my loft wing to the surface of this area were what looked to be these stone carvings of possible worker robots from the past. Now, since I couldn't do anything outside of examining them, I did move on, you know, because I figured, ah, I'm sure I'll get some kind of explanation as to what these things are soon enough. So I started in this exterior environment, a desert environment, and it led me down and directly into this underground network of mine tracks and tunnels. And it was in these tunnels that I first learned of the time shift stones, which are these blue crystals with Honestly, interesting looking hieroglyphs that are carved into them. And when these stones are struck, they bring a specific designated area back to that area's past. So for example, currently where I'm at in this room, when I first discovered these crystals, there's dirt, sand, and dead grass, and the stone carved robots that are sitting idle. But I strike that time stone and a wave of color passes over the area, and now what once was is now beautiful green grass and a mobile working robot. So guys, officially these robots are called LD-301, but I'm going to call them LDs from now on to make it easy for us. And you find this out, just it's simply stated in the dialogue box when you try to talk to them that LD-301 is the model of robot that you're discussing your content with. So once the game introduces the time shift stones, guys, everything changes from a gameplay standpoint. And I absolutely loved it. So you use the time shift stones to shift back and forth between the past and the present. And this is the main form of puzzle solving in this overworld area. I also had to move mine carts so that they would be positioned within the bubble the wave from the past extends to so that I could then use the cart to ride the track to a previously unreachable area. 
And I, that's just amazing. I, the game continues to do this basic puzzle concept in different ways as you progress throughout the overworld. And it just, it was just great. And in this area, I acquired a new item. And it was in the form of an upgrade this time. And I loved it. It was the hook beetle. So if you'll remember, I had the scarab before, which you could shoot off of your wrist and fly it around. And it could snip little webs that were hanging the giant spiders from the ceiling and have them fall down. Or you could activate crystals that were previously unreachable and things of that nature. But man, the hook beetle adds a whole new element to this item. So the biggest thing that it adds to your arsenal is the ability with its pincers on the front to pick up bombs. And then you're almost like this airship that's flying above and, and doing a bombing raid in the area because you can then choose the location and drop the bombs on enemies or other areas. Or in some cases, there are giant statues that have baskets that you have to drop the bombs into to then knock the statues over. All kinds of just different elements and ways to use this item. Now, eventually, you emerge into this vast, giant open area, and there's quicksand everywhere, and you have the Temple of Time and the Distance. Guys, that beautiful combination of the Helian Crest and the Triforce, that this giant symbol in the sky atop that temple shone down, oh, just that image, it was just it was a beautiful, beautiful sight. And I did take a screenshot, of course, and shared it on social media, Twitter, Instagram. Check it out if you're interested. And it's in this area that, yet again, Nintendo just continues to do something that I love in every Zelda game. No environment is ever taken for granted in these games, and it is utilized in every way imaginable. And here, the genius is that in certain locations of the quicksand, you won't sink because... There are hidden roads underneath that you can walk across. So how do you know where these roads are, you may ask? Well, you can reference your map, which one of the LDs in the area kindly updates with an overlay, and it shows you where the pathways are. In my opinion, again, genius. Now, it's at this point that the area is all mine, open for full exploration and deciphering. And I excitedly do so, guys. Uh, eventually... I do enter this semi-secret cave that I discovered by using a bomb to blast the rocks away in front of its entrance. And I step into what appears to be a warehouse, and that's pretty much where my progress for the week came to an end. But there is just still so much more to talk about in this area. So if you guys know me by now, you will know that I love encountering new enemy types, especially in this game. And that does not change in the Lanairu mine. Now, there's many types of different enemies that pop up here, mostly electrical variations of previously encountered enemies. For example, the Bokoblin, they show up pretty much everywhere with some kind of variation. And they now have an electrified club that they can smack me with, or they can block my attacks and electrify me with. Ugh, so annoying. The globs of slime that pop up everywhere, they're now yellow, and they have intermittent electrical charges that they can put out. The giant blowfish type of enemies from the Elden Volcano, they return here, except this time they're yellow and they spit electrified rocks at you. But the newest unique enemy type, though, were the Ampelus. Basically, they are a giant hermit crab, 
and they will outright attack you, but they mostly resort to hiding in their shell. And at that point, you need to get out the way because they will roll pretty quickly after you while that shell also happens to be electrified. Now, the cool thing about these enemies, though, that I just absolutely loved is that I discovered in many areas of Lanayu. So they're, they have what I'll call bodies of sand that move like bodies of water as far as their flow and movement. So the thing is, these bodies of sand are essentially, like I stated earlier, quicksand. And you have to sprint across them in order not to sink. So in the earlier parts of this overworld, that's kind of the cat and mouse game, if you will, is, oh man, can I sprint over while not depleting all of my stamina gauge and make it to the next platform? Or can I make it to that platform? Or is it too far? Am I going to run out of stamina before I get there? It's these kinds of questions that get you to this point in the game. But at a certain point, you realize, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be able to make that at all. What do I do? So the cool thing is, in some of these areas, the Ampelus enemies, they may be walking around these bodies of sand on the surface. All you do, you fling a bomb at them, and that'll cause them to actually hide in their shells, which floats on the surface of the sand. At that point, you can sprint over to their shell and use it as a platform to pause refill your stamina gauge, and then move and get to that previously unreachable platform. Really cool stuff, in my opinion. So all in all, I absolutely loved my time in Zelda this past week. I love the fact that I beat Assassin's Creed Valhalla's base game and started the crossover story with Cassandra. Loved, loved, loved my playtime this past week. So let's go see what the highlight was throughout all this. Gamers, as much as I absolutely loved my time in the Lanairu Desert this past week, it is not comparable to the absolute euphoria that one feels when completing a massive epic, such as Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Finally completing that game, that base game, and knowing that it was complete was just an awesome feeling. 251 hours by the time I was done with everything. Granted, there were four festivals and three Tombs of the Fallen that I did as far as DLC. So maybe I was probably closer to about 230 hours strictly just for the base game. But still, 230 hours ain't no joke. And man, I, you know, it took over a year of picking away at this game. And a lot of sacrifices as far as choosing to play this over other games for it to happen. I still haven't played Halo. I still haven't played Guardians of the Galaxy, Far Cry 6. There's a lot of stuff I want to play, guys. But I had to finish this game. So I am uber excited, beyond excited, ecstatic to have finally completed Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Now let's go see what kind of buried treasure gaming tips I have for you in The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD. Gamers, and all the fun and amazing times that I had exploring the Lanairu desert and mine area, I did get to a point where I was completely stumped for probably a solid half hour or so trying to figure out what in the world do I do here. <laughs> and I could not see any solution for quite a while. It's one of those situations, though, that once the solution finally was there, I kind of smack myself in the head in a sense like come on man why did how did you forget that 
So to avoid that happening to you, listener, I am here to tell you, there's going to be a point when you're in the Lanaira mine, and there's a tunnel, a long tunnel in front of you, and that tunnel you cannot traverse because it is covered in quicksand, and it is extremely obvious there's no way that your stamina gauge is going to allow you to get to the other side. There are no platforms. There are no ampelous enemies that you can knock out and then use their shell to extend your run. But you see across this long stretch of quicksand, three rocks that are very distinguishable as rocks that you can destroy with your bombs. And okay, well, I got to be able to get a bomb there somehow. So what do I do? Send my scarab out to try to get some advanced reconnaissance. And I can see there is literally nothing. There is (laughs) nothing that I can do with the scarab. There's nothing that I can bring over or drop a bomb or anything. So I'm sitting there and I try to throw bombs. They don't roll, but so far they get maybe halfway or just over halfway through this tunnel. Gamers, long story short, all you have to do is roll the bomb. Please don't do like I did and forget that you can roll the bomb, not just throw the bomb. All you got to do, roll the bomb and that sand river will take it right down to those three rocks, destroy them, revealing a time shift crystal, at which point you can then use your scarab to activate and give you access across what used to be quicksand. Now let's go see what this week's captain's decree is. Gamers, this week, earlier in the episode, we talked about the new colors for the dual sense controllers that are coming out. We talked about the new fins that have been confirmed and the different colors for them as well. Now, it got me thinking, what are the colors that I want most next to be revealed by Sony and Microsoft for their respective controllers? As well as for Sony, what's the next color or theme that I would love to see on a new fin in the future? So first up, we have the dual sense and fin that I want most. So as of right now, the next color I would love to see Sony announce for the dual sense is in fact that really deep foresty hunter green color that the one Instagram user had showcased on that post that I referenced earlier in the show. I just thought it looked beautiful. It's a beautiful shade of green. And again, my favorite color is green. So that would be awesome. Now, when talking to my wife about this, she made an interesting point. I don't know if Sony's ever going to do that. Well, why not? Well, green is synonymous with Xbox. Do you think that Sony would ever do Xbox's color? Uh, That's a valid point. So I don't know. I hope that it's not like that. But, you know, I kind of see Xbox as more of a neon, brighter green. And I'm wanting more of a deeper, darker, foresty, or hunter green for the dual sense. So maybe that'll be enough to differentiate themselves if that is their mindset that they have. But as far as a fin, again, something I discussed with Graveyard Gamer. How about not just a color? How about a theme? A fin that's themed around one of our favorite games or franchises or characters. So for me, 
The one I would like to see the most, to be honest with you, there's been a lot of these types of photos or designs done across the internet. But I would love to see kind of like a PlayStation All-Stars collage of characters to where all the characters over PlayStation's history are kind of all in this one group photo in a sense. I would love to have that because it's a representation of PlayStation as a whole. I would love that more than any color, more than any individual game theme. I would love to just see this montage of PlayStation characters and just really, truly scream out on my PlayStation console, PlayStation. As far as the Xbox goes, obviously I don't have fins or different things like that that I can speak to, but their Series X or S controller line, the next color I would love for them to release is laser green as far as a color is concerned. And I say laser green, again, social media, it can sometimes be a great place, a place of dreams, because there is a user out there that has put out there a a box mock-up and everything for a laser green Series X controller. I would eat that up immediately because it is that more of a neon type style green. And don't get me wrong, I have the electric volt controller and I love that. I love that controller, but it's more of a yellow green. I would love to have that laser green as that user referenced it. Now, I can't have a themed console, as I stated, for Xbox, but we can have themed controllers. So I got to thinking, what would be something that I haven't had before, haven't seen before, that would really get me going? And gamers, I thought about, I tried to think about exclusives. My assumption is this game is going to be exclusive to Xbox consoles, and that is Indiana Jones. So I thought, man, that would be actually a really cool, or could be a really cool controller design if they made it to kind of have the edges cut and look like a, either an old temple or some kind of MacGuffin or, or you know, artifact or something of that nature. Maybe have somehow his whip and hat and different things integrated into the controller. I just feel like there's a lot of design opportunity there and that could make for a really cool controller and it could launch beside the game when it also launches, hopefully at some point next year. I still cannot wait to see something on that game. So there you have it. That's my captain's decree. And to give you guys a heads up, next week will not be a captain's quarters episode. It will be my 2020, a gaming year in review. A look back at all that was amazing in gaming in 2021. It'll be my favorite games of the year, my game of the year, as well as a lot of other things that I would love for you to check out. The following week, I will also not have a captain's quarters episode. It will be my... Gaming on the Horizon episode that I did last year where I look ahead at gaming and what's to come in 2022. So join me for those episodes over the next couple of weeks. And I can't wait to hear your feedback. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. Reach out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com or find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.